and welcome to a brand new episode of the Traction.gg podcast where we talk about racing games, esports and sim racing. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about Inertial Drift. Initially released in 2020 by an independent two-person team and published by P-Cube, it launched on PC, Xbox, PlayStation 4 and Nintendo Switch. It's an incredibly distinctive twin-stick driving game with a physics system like nothing else. It's also got this retro-modern fusion vibe which helps it stand out. So we are going to discuss the inspiration behind that look and also the gameplay mechanics. To do that, we're joined by the developer and visionary of the title, Michael O'Kane from Northern Ireland. Inertial Drift is his passion, his vision. So stay tuned as he talks about the really lengthy and difficult process of making a game and releasing it. Also, his personal passion for 90s Japanese sports cars. And also we discuss the Twilight Rivals edition, which is coming out very, very soon for PS5 and Xbox Series S and X and also the Twilight Rivals downloadable content pack, which adds four new cars and four new tracks, which is available for those new consoles, plus the existing platforms too. Stay tuned for our conversation, and I'll join you on the other side. So, Michael, pleasure to speak to you. Thank you for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, really good, thanks. Thank you for joining us all the way from Belfast. So, Inertial Drift, it's been around for a couple of years publicly, many years privately before then. (laughs) Indeed. Uh, And now it's Coming back with like some new versions, some enhancements for the latest consoles and the Twilight Rivals DLC pack. I'd like to uh, discuss all that exciting new stuff. But first, perhaps for those who might be new to the title, I've heard of it, but never never tried it. To me, I would describe it as a, it's a driving game where you've got a unique uh, use of a steering and a drift stick to control the angle of the car. And it's got a very unique uh, vibe to it. In your words, what is inertial drift? Yeah, so, I mean, at the core, yeah, it's a twin-stick arcade racing game. And kind of the idea behind it was that I wanted to sort of come at an arcade racer and forget how cars really worked and be like, what's the the ultimate control scheme that you could have on a controller to to control an arcade racing game? And so, yeah, I came up with this this concept of having independent control over your steering and your drifting. And, um, And so that, like, lets you do a bunch of fun stuff and it... It lets the like the base controls be much more accessible than they might otherwise be, but also lets you do um, very complicated things and like allows us to ask more of the player. Um, and then like the layer on top of that then is that you know we really dug into like having all the cars in the game be really like individually different from each other. So there's almost like a different control scheme for each of them. So like each car becomes this little puzzle for you to work out, and that just results in I think way more depth than you normally get in an arcade racing game, almost more than you might even get in a sim game a lot of the time. Yeah, that's that's one of the real key appeals to me. Uh, it's a sign of a great game, regardless of the genre or the type, is that it's easy enough to pick up and play and get going, but there's actual, well, you said it there, depth to keep the experience, make sure it has longevity. And Inertial Drift, in my opinion, certainly does that. So how, obviously, the control scheme is unique, but also a really distinctive flavour of the game is the fact that each car has a character. So... How did you come about that idea of, okay, yes, we've got this initial idea for a control scheme, but then let's also implement that slightly differently on each vehicle? Yeah, so, I mean, there were a bunch of different inspirations that sort of culminated in me making this. I think, like, 
Um, I've always been really uh, blown away by like what they did with the original skate game. You know how they like took oh, yes. the, like the Tony Hawk formula and were like, okay, well, forget about how that's supposed to work. Let's do something really different and giving you that really one-to-one control. So that, that was, was a lot like, on the sticks as well, wasn't it? Yeah, as exactly. opposed to like pressing triangle six times. Yeah, and they tried to like map. It didn't. It obviously wasn't exactly like real life, but they tried to map those same kinds of motions, so you felt like you were doing the trick. And so it was like that, taking some of that idea and you know applying that to to a racing game. And then you know on top of that, stuff like I've always thought that you know in games like Demon Souls or Dark Souls, you know that the, the most interesting weapons are the ones that are functionally different from each other, where you have to actually play differently with them, um, instead yeah. of just like stat changes where you can't even really feel the difference and so you know it was like trying to bring some of that to a racing game um, and then as well on top of that just like even i think i was playing drive club and uh, i just i tended to do like uh, style events on the same course and i would either use like an amg gt or a 911 and one of those cars you kind of had to use the handbrake and the other one was more like brake to drift or right. maybe you could just play with the throttle but that really made me think about it was like okay well you know, I could do that and I could exaggerate it and I could take that further and you know, like come up with as many different approaches and sort of like try and make it so every car had its own unique little tricks and that, yeah, you had to approach each of them completely differently to try and make it so that, you know, each car felt like a completely new experience instead of just like a very slightly different one. I'm, I'm really glad someone uh, has mentioned Drive Club on the podcast. <laughs> we need to do a separate episode about that. I spent many hours playing, playing that and I'm really sad that it didn't continue on. But I, I digress. So that's that's interesting that that's one of the in, inspirations is another racing game. But also what I feel makes this game different is it doesn't feel like other driving games and clearly you've got inspirations from other genres within racing games there, which is fascinating to me. And another element that layers upon that is the, the look, the style, the, the soundtrack, and there's characters within the game and they're sort of tied to each car as well. So not only did you create, okay, the core mechanics, but then you went about creating this this world around that so was that something you thought about from the offset or did that come in later in the process i'm interested to hear how that came about as well yeah i mean that was like very early on part of it is that you know so my favorite racing game of all time is is ridge racer 4 okay and, um, that sort of era of arcade racing games has disappeared and um we've got to a point where like most racing games are now just sort of like big sort of toy boxes where you're expected to go in and like find your own fun like find your own things to do and i often find that i like fall out of those games pretty quickly because it just there's no like good reason to keep playing for me um because i you know i don't have that much time to go play games anymore and uh so yeah i want something to like draw me through and so i like i miss the the little simple story that they did in ridge racer 4 that like really helped draw you through and so for me to make this game the game a game that i would want to play and that i would want to play for an extended period of time it was important to have that kind of story element there and so yeah you know i kind of ended up in the at the end like mashing up you know i discovered initial d basically while working on this game and that became right. a relatively large influence as well. And so in some ways, it's kind of the collision of like my favorite parts of Ridge Racer and my favorite parts of Initial D. Then with all the like, you know, the handling stuff from, you know, like that was sort of our original bit that we added in on top. And that, you know, yeah, all came together to create something I think that can stand on its own. Yeah, what, one of the appeals I think as well is obviously how, how the game looks. It's like the, the cell shaded elements and you've got the unique car designs and the level designs as well. But also fitting in with that is the soundtrack, right? It's, it's like modern, but it's retro, it harks back. Um, you had a couple of people, I believe, helping you out uh, on that, one of which called Cab Driver, love that name. And then how, how was that created? What was the process there? 
Yeah, so I mean, for the original thing, it was like I was kind of like I love the Ridge Racer Four soundtrack. Um, it was like, could we do something in the space of that? And um, yeah, cab driver David is my friend who works on like I worked on some of his game projects. He has game projects here in Belfast as well. Oh, I see. And so yeah, basically like I worked with him to, to like find the the sound for the game. But yeah, I mean, obviously as well, people are expecting Eurobeat from the game because of the like initial D references that we do. And to a certain degree, I like didn't want to lean into that because I'm you know trying to carve out an identity for the game distinct from initial D. But uh, that's one of the things we're doing with with the new DLC is uh, for the people who want it, we've teamed up with uh, Turbo who does Eurobeat remixes on, on YouTube. Um, and he's done Eurobeat versions of all the original tracks as well as Eurobeat, uh, like original Eurobeat songs for um, the like the four new tracks that we're doing and so you'll have the option basically in the menu to switch between the original music or the the new Eurobeat tracks or like a mixture of the two depending on what track you're playing on oh right so you could almost have so you can toggle it but then some of the new tracks will also have like a, a mix of the two yeah so the way it works basically is that if you're playing the twilight rivals mode that uses the new Eurobeat stuff by default. Uh, yeah. The original tracks, if you're playing an arcade or whatever, will use the the original music, and then the new tracks will always use the the Eurobeat stuff unless you explicitly force it not to. And nice, that's cool. And then when you're um, creating new content, is it in the back of your mind all, all, always that okay, perhaps we should, you know, for example, the new tracks? Did it feel like too logical to have some new music to go with them? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the way we did it was that we kind of like tied a, like a, a music track to like the location for each yeah. of them. And they, you know, like I, I would go to David with like, here's what I kind of like want this track to feel like. Here's the, the themes in the story at this point. Um, you know, so like for uh, the snowy track, I was like, you know, I want like icy sounds. And then for track four, it's like everyone's at their lowest point uh, in the story at that point. So I want it to be like sort of discordant and like unnerving where possible. Right. Um, and so yeah so we needed some new, new music for this and so uh, I actually just suggested it was like could we get Turbo to do some Eurobeat remixes for us <laughs> uh, and yeah he was on board so that's been super cool to just like I've had like basically like an unreleased Turbo album of Eurobeat songs that exclusively I've been able to listen to for the last couple Brilliant. of months it's really funny to have everyone else be able to listen to them yeah and I guess the, the, the soundtrack is one element that gives the flavour for the game as well, right? And so it's key that that aligns. And certainly from the original stuff um, in the base game, it was it was perfectly in tune with, I thought, the the feel of the title. So hopefully uh, the Eurobeat stuff uh, matches. Any plans to release that separately? I think, was it, if you bought the original version, could you buy the soundtrack on Steam and things like this? Yes, yeah, so the original soundtrack was available on Steam. Um, I believe Turbo will be releasing the tracks himself. So I'm oh, not cool. sure exactly the deal, deal with that, but... Um... Yeah, I think they should definitely be. I think they're at least going to be available on Spotify. Nice. All right. Well, that also uh, is hopefully good fun to play with. But then also, if I'm writing something, pop on the soundtrack as well. That'd be great. Yeah, it's definitely a different vibe. And I think part of the like the base game was like that it was quite meditative in places. And so like mm. the, the chiller soundtrack worked for that. But yeah, sometimes you just want to get really pumped up. And that <laughs> sort of fits with the stuff I've written for the, you know, for these new characters. They're like a bit more trash talky and like challenging. You right. You know, the music ties into that a little bit. So everything's a bit more up-tempo, like it. Yeah. Well, that's that's another element that I was going to mention there, because we are talking a lot about inspiration, yet it is very much its own thing. So you're talking about, oh, yeah, Initial D and Skate and Demon Souls and Ridge Racer, but in completion, it's completely different to all of those in a way. 
and that's why I hope people keep coming back to it, or one of the reasons. Just in away from that slightly, in the level 91 entertainment, who's obviously your, your company, or, and who makes Inertial Drift, right? In Belfast, and it's founded by yourself and uh, Tom Matthews, right? Is it still two people today, or have you grown a bit? No, it, it's still two people as of right now. I mean, you know, we we obviously like outsource some parts of the game, so like okay, yeah. I'd help with with audio mm. particularly, and then and yeah, like some of the character art and some of the animation work. But yeah. like, yeah, ninety nine percent of the game was built wow. by the two of us. Definitely feels like something made by a, a much larger team. If I'm honest, it's very polished, very slick. It it runs well. It plays great. So kudos. I suppose the flip side to that is it. Um, Am I correct to thinking, before, you know, it initially released in 2020 and it was maybe seven years up until that point of work to get to there? Yeah. Wow. Um, That's incredible. It was kind of a spare time project for quite a long time for me, basically. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. The, eventually I got to the point where I was like, yeah, this is actually good. And, um, you know, we were able to get some funding here. And so that's when we took it full time. And uh, when, when was it roughly you went full time? So I, I still did some part time stuff, but we founded the company in 2017, and that was the point where ah, we got right. some like, proper funding for it. Up until yeah. then, it was just me working on it. So that's when Tom came on board. And so, yeah, it was you know three years basically full time for Tom, a little bit less for me. Oh, I see. That makes a lot of sense. And then obviously, you're, you're published with or partnered with uh, PCube, the publisher. How did that deal come about? Were you like simultaneously like developing the game and then pitching it? which can also be quite busy, or did they see your work? What, yeah, no, absolutely. So, yeah, we, we'd been pitching at a bunch of places, Gamescom, GDC. I think GDC was the, yeah. the point where we eventually like linked up with PQ. But, um, yeah, uh, they'd already seen the game actually on Twitter and been meaning to reach out to me, so it was just sort of... Oh, that's cool. Oh, well, it just goes to show, uh, if you've got something good, put it on the internet as well, and maybe <laughs> yeah. that helps towards the deal, right? For indie studios, that's a that's a key thing. Because uh, it, be, it must be difficult trying to balance making the game and making sure people see the game and invest in it right yeah especially when there's only two of you you know like uh, I ended up wearing far too many hats because uh, yeah I do all the programming and right. most of the game design and I wrote the script and I also did all the business stuff and yeah that all adds up and you don't have very much time I was going to say do you have any free time during this period <laughs> not much I did work seven days a week for a quite an extended period Wow. So so when it did release in 2020 then, was it like a, an overnight explosion of sales, like something like a, a FIFA game or with, you know, a AAA budget? Or is it momentum that builds over time? It's actually, yeah, it's had a pretty good run. Like people are still buying it now. It's still making, yeah. like sells a decent number of copies every quarter. So yeah, um, it's had pretty good long tail. A lot of it was at the start. Um, it'd be interesting to see how the PS5 version works out in that regard. But Well, that seems like a as good a segue as any so <laughs> we're here in 2022 so coming up to two years after it oh well just after two years after it um initially released which was on pc playstation 4 xbox one and nintendo switch so then what inspired you to continue working on it after the initial launch well yeah so i mean sorry like there were a decent number of people who were you know, like playing all the time. And um, yeah, so we had a decent amount of like interest in it. And so, yeah, then it was basically like a conversation between us and, and PQ. You know, they were interested in us doing a little bit more content. We were interested in doing some more content. And so, yeah, we basically, after a little bit of a break, laid out a plan for the next year, year and a half um, to like to do a bunch of update content and then to do the, the DLC. And yeah, that also included doing next-gen upgrade versions. 
I see. That's nice. And also, I guess you fostered a enthusiastic and vibrant community and fan base around the game. I'm in the uh, Discord for it, and there's plenty of people talking over the past couple of years when I've been looking at it. That must be satisfying to see that people are fans of the game, first of all. And second of all, that there's an appetite to continue releasing content for it. Yeah, I mean, um, I really didn't know how the reception was going to go. So the fact that, that the game reviewed so well and that the people who are into yeah. it are, are so into it and, you know, the people are still playing it now is, is being pretty crazy. I like, don't actually read a ton of uh, what people say about it just because it feels weird. It's like the game is so personal for me that it's like difficult to read even people saying nice things about it. But uh, yeah, I'm definitely aware of you know, the number of people still playing. I mean, there was plenty of uh, nines out of ten reviews as well, right? So yeah, it's not just the fan really base, it's the critical reception. So... I guess that must help uh, spread the word as well. Yeah, it was great. We, you know, we had um, a lot of great reviews, a few of which I managed to read some of. But, uh, yes. I, I at least saw the scores. Okay, yeah. well, that's, that's the key thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, talking about the PS5 and Xbox Series S and X uh, versions, uh, I believe you can have up to 4K resolution and up to 120 hertz or frames per second. That's a... Uh, a decent upgrade on paper. What was it like uh, creating those versions? Um, it wasn't so bad for the most part, you know, like uh, especially with those things because we we targeted like a pretty solid 60 and we've got dynamic yeah. resolution in there. You could kind of just lift those targets and, you know, like mostly get a bunch of extra performance. Um, but then, yeah, you know, just like the, the porting process for new consoles is always like a little bit uh, of a challenge. It's just like a lot of stuff to rebuild and, and redo, especially because, you know, we were doing, um, you know, we have like a lot of features so we have trophies and leaderboards and right. you know, online functionality. There's like a lot of bits you know, of compliance that you have to do there to get all of that to work. So yeah, it, it was like reasonable amount of work for, for one person to do. But, you know, when we launched initially on four platforms as well, that was also a foolish endeavor for one person and I managed to pull that off. Yeah, that's true. Well, let's hope this, this launch goes well. I mean, actually, you just raised an interesting point there. Yes, it has this, the story or the main, main campaign and the different modes within that. But you've got... Um, split screen uh, it's online leaderboards as well that's all in the base game never mind the upgraded resolutions frame rates and the dlc so that that must be a, a heck of a workload to get all these uh, additional features that say or functionality into the original game when there's only a couple of people working on it yeah i mean it helps that you know i designed the game from the start knowing that i wanted to do split screen um, knowing because yeah. it was partially that like you know i wanted to have a rear view camera and that you know, if you're planning for that, it makes it a little bit easier to do split screen because you're already planning to have two views running at all times. Oh, I see. Yeah, interesting. The, the review mirror out whenever you're doing split screen stuff. Um, so some things we did add later, like I didn't initially intend to do online multiplayer, but we added that in at a certain point and it wasn't so bad to do. Um, and yeah, the leaderboards and stuff were all planned from the start. So yeah, a lot of that was made easier by the fact that I, I plan very far ahead for a lot of those things. Oh, well, that's that's good planning, because especially online leaderboards, that helps keep people going back for more, right? Oh, they might have completed it, but I oh, just want to get that, beat that person on the on the leaderboard. Yeah, um, I mean, that's why I play Drive Club a lot as well, so I, I kind of oh, yeah. get those things back. Same, same. It's a shame that the servers are offline these days, but yeah, that was intrinsic to the appeal, wasn't it? When when after that rocket launch they had of beating your friends on the leaderboard, it was, it was really key, and it's good that a title from just a couple of people can also integrate something similar. That's a Another, I doff my cap to your uh, game development skills there. Just continuing on the new version theme, do you think the PS5 version, for example, is is the ultimate version of the game? Is it the best version so far? Well, certainly, yeah. I mean, the series version is probably equivalent, but yeah, 
being able to play it at 120 and yeah like it it's just a lot crisper at um at higher resolutions as well so you know having both of those options is yeah. is really nice i'm not personally like super sensitive to frame rate so personally i'd probably play it at 60 but yeah i think it's probably a pretty good experience at 120 if if that's more your speed well i'll be uh, checking out in the next couple of days so looking forward to it and it's not just these visual enhancements right because for all platforms current or new there's the twilight rivals uh, dlc so with the new version on ps5 and xbox series that's bundled uh within it uh but it's also available separately for those on uh yeah switch ps4 xbox one pc right so what can players expect from this expansion yeah so basically um we added four new cars we've added a little sort of mini story mode for you to play through to unlock them and um and then that also entails like four brand new tracks that you can go and explore um be like kind of designed around these new cars and you know serve as the finale for the mini story mode but you know that's all new content for arcade and leaderboards um because i think that's where like a lot of the longevity of the game is is yeah trying to beat each other on the leaderboard so there's a bunch of new content there for everyone to enjoy so you mentioned there there's yeah i think there's four new tracks four new cars and the new story so of the four new cars obviously the vehicles are not uh, licensed within the game um there are their own distinctive thing but some of them perhaps have notes of inspiration of perhaps some JDM 80s and 90s sports cars um is that something you're passionate about in the real world outside of game development yeah so i mean with a lot of them we try to take like more than one influence and like sort of mash them together to create something new and then for one yeah. or two of them they like lean a little bit more towards towards a real car so yeah i mean i wasn't i was like pretty into cars as a kid and then i sort of fell out of it a bit but okay. making a racing game pulls you back in and uh, yeah so like during development i i bought an mr2 uh, so yeah that fully fallen back into it now partially because of initial d as well like that that didn't help right yeah yeah so well let's just touch upon it if you don't mind so it's a, i think it's second generation mr2 so that's a small diminutive sports car rear wheel drive mid-engined reputation for being a bit spiky when it's wet Yeah. How's 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 yours? Is it an import or a UK uh yeah, UK model? Or? Yeah, it, it's a UK model and it needs new tires very badly. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's very spiky at the moment because uh, yeah, the weather's been awful here recently. So yeah, oh well, hopefully the DLC sells well. <laughs> yeah. So I can buy new wheels. Uh the yeah, the the car's basically stock, but um one of the previous owners I think like changed the the wheels on it and so the the rear okay. tire, like the rear wheels are supposed to be wider. Um and they've put equal with rims all, all around. Interesting. And uh, I kind of really want to put some wide ones on the back so that it doesn't snap in, into a lamppost when I least expect it. Because, <laughs> yeah, it's not a good idea to, to mess with the balance of that car. I feel like it's snappy enough as is. Yeah, mm, that's probably a good idea. Yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, yeah damp now. Winter's coming. So um, an MR2 is uh, perhaps a bit tricky <laughs> in those inclement conditions. But I mean, it's good fun, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I just obviously couldn't just bring myself to buy a hatchback. Uh I like kind of was like if I'm going to buy a car, I don't need it like I don't need to drive that much, but I at least want to buy something interesting. Yeah. It's hard to get more interesting per pound than than an MR2, I feel like. Yeah, well, it's definitely I don't know, it fits it fits the theme of of the game as well. Maybe that was subconscious, but it's yeah. like uh we actually feel counterpart. The uh the Katana is obviously like takes inspiration from the MR2 in the game and um, we made that car before I bought mine and I just happened to get a car in exactly the same color as a complete coincidence oh, nice. like, the color was set before I even bought my car 
uh, and I'd been looking for a while, and then the one that finally turned up was an almost exact match. Oh, that is perfect. And I also think, I could be wrong here, uh, that the upcoming XX82 kind of looks like a first-generation MR2 from some angles, maybe. So, yeah. um, one of the um, one of the original references for that was actually um, Toyota's. I think it was group, it was either Group B or Group S, oh, the Group based rally car. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so, like, we we drew some other inspirations uh, for that as well, and like, kind of like pushed it away, so it wasn't exactly like that. But yeah, it's it definitely some, it's some auto styling because of that. Yeah, and what's uh, are you involved in like a game development scene in Northern Ireland? And if so, what's it like? Do you know Do you know any fellow? Uh, racing game developers perhaps in the region or uh, are you in touch with any other independent smaller studios that are making racing games around the world yeah so um, I've met a bunch of racing game devs at uh, like games events and so like Dune who makes uh, Art of Rally and uh, Absolute Drift I'm pretty good friends with so he he's been on the, this podcast I've actually met him in real life and we've, we've talked a bit about Art of Rally and he was the one who said you need to get on Inertial <laughs> Drift you need to interview them because it's fantastic and they're a great, great uh, small team there. So here we are. So do you do you conversate with him? Um, do you give each other tips or anything? Yeah, um, yeah. We'll often like have back and forth about uh, how to go about certain things. Like um, the, one of the last things I remember was uh, whenever he was doing his crowds for Art of Rally. Uh-huh. We had a pretty long chat about how to go about that. I can't remember if he decided to do it the way that I thought I would do it. But yeah, similar. I mean, I sent him a version of the game. First time I ever spoke to him was I sent him a version of the game ah. before we'd ever like signed a deal to just be like, what do you think of this? And people just uh, slam the cars a bit more because there was too much ground clearance on them. Um, Interesting. Yeah, he's a, he's a very nice guy. Uh, yeah, no, he's, he's a legend. Um, so in terms of this, I'm going to say project, but obviously it's been your life for nine years, let's say. You know, in this time when you've been thinking about Inertial Drift, have you also been perhaps working or thinking of other ideas at all? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we don't have any like firm plans for what we do next. And at yeah. the moment, I'm mostly helping out other game studios in Belfast because there's quite a few of them around. Oh, interesting. But yeah, I mean, uh, I know what I would do if we if we do get the chance to do a sequel at some point. I've got like, almost the entire thing planned out in my head. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I know I'd also love to make a like an XCOM style turn-based uh, strategy game at some point, okay. but that's yeah. a much bigger task. So I'm not sure I'd like this yeah. to happen anytime soon. One of the nice things about Inertial Drift was that, you know, it was a relatively small scope. It's still like a stupidly large scope for like a two-person project, but it was the smallest yeah. scope project that I could like be sure that I'd care enough about to finish. I think that's, you know, you've got, it's always a smart idea as a small team to try and scope down your project as much as possible. But there's there's a point where it's like, you have to care enough about it to be able to get through all the really awful bits in the middle and towards the end. And, uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, that, this was the perfect project for that. as evidenced by the fact that I actually finished it, even yeah. though it took almost a decade. So it's, it's all about striking a balance between a great idea and a big scope, but actually an achievable goal. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So you could go all crazy with your... Uh, real-time strategy game there yeah. but then it might it might open up a whole load of okay well could I finish that even in nine years or not maybe now yeah. you could because you've probably I'm no doubt learned a lot through the process of this game right yeah absolutely and yeah it, it means you, you then go and you play other racing games and you you like you know it's like oh it's like what will my take on a karting game look like yeah what would my take on a wipeout game look like I, you know I have thoughts about all those things but whether whether i care about them enough to go and actually make a full game okay at the years to it i'm not sure it would be fun though yeah 
Oh, I mean, if it's uh, anything like this particular title, I would love you to uh, find the time, energy, and uh, funding to do something like that. But but let's see. Uh, I wish you all the best with the, those other ideas. Uh, just just really quickly to reverse slightly on the DLC. Obviously, this is a paid expansion and then a new version releasing. But also, I think from about October last year, twenty twenty one, you had like the first like new variation of a car, and then you followed it up with a couple of others, and they were they were free. So was that to also uh, whet the appetite and keep people engaged for when this bigger expansion comes out? Yeah, so basically it was like, it sort of was like a whole package. We were working on on the entire set of things and yeah. you know, some of those cars, because it was like the most interesting thing about the game is the like the new handling styles. And so it was like a relatively easy, but high value thing to go and take an existing car and yeah. like add a wing to it or something, you know, change it a little bit visually and then modify the handling and that gives you something totally new to play. So, you know, those things were like low hanging fruits that helped us like build a little bit of momentum towards the update. Cause otherwise, you know, basically it would have been like this huge gap between when the game came out and when, you know, some DLC dropped. So yeah, yeah it was good to have those things in the middle to help like uh, build um, and yeah, to keep people interested in the game in the meantime. Uh, and yeah, cause like the ultimate goal as well was to build some tracks, but tracks take so much longer than, mm. than the cars do. You know, like almost the entirety of the last year has been just track art. Uh, from an art perspective so yeah that's so much work uh yeah so it's interesting i mean it, it does make sense now you say it, that they might be the more time intensive aspects of it especially because some of the layouts and tracks already having not played the new dlc yet are quite intricate and varies within the yeah. side and i'm sure you want to keep up that same level of uh, quality on the new ones right so that must be the most time intensive part right yeah, and it's just yeah, it's like having good tools to to build those things is is difficult, and mm. yeah, I kind of just um, because we made the game so technical and um, you know, give you so much control, like the exact layouts of the track really mattered quite a lot. It, it's less right. like you know like modern sort of boosty racing games where they just have like a super super wide road. Um, because you have so much control here, I need to make the roads narrower to like challenge you a little bit more. Um, and so yeah, it's it's maybe more demanding, and the track layout matters more than it might in. In a bunch of other modern racing games. No, that's a, that's a really good point because I think like the first ones you play in the tutorial are reasonably wide, but some of the more intricate ones they are really narrow, and part of the appeal is to go again on them to really nail each ipsies right with each drift because it's almost sometimes when you have the car sideways that's kind of almost the width of the track, maybe a bit more either side. <laughs> yeah, you have to be super super precise, but that's where we back to the beginning of our conversation where we're saying oh yeah pretty straightforward to get going but then for for the hardcore those who want to maximize the experience it does take um, a lot of time and practice and effort to really dial in and find your favorite vehicle i think yeah do you, do you have uh, a particular favorite um it's sort of changed over time i quite like the dragon uh which is the the hard difficulty story car um i think a lot of other people potentially don't which is interesting because it's okay. stiffer than like it's it's possibly the stiffest car yeah. in the game um, I would maybe change the way I balance some of the cars now I, I sort of at the expert level I tried to make it so that they were sort of like more they would snap hard and fast but that you know they were like they could go out of control almost mm. um, but uh, it, it made them because they feel snappier it makes the level below where I like went more into like the feeling of weight and you know like restricting you um, and like requiring more like forward planning for stuff it makes those cars actually like maybe more difficult in some ways for certain types of players. So yeah, like that's probably my favorite one just because it's a nice balance. But I've actually been really enjoying um, the the Katana XT 
so the 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 update car that we did based yeah. on the katana um that one has just like some interesting different feel it's like almost the the opposite of the uh, the dragon in some ways and so yeah i've been playing that quite a lot whenever i was testing tracks out i have a weird nice. relationship with the game obviously though because i mostly play to like test bugs or yeah like slightly my, different i imagine to yeah. what the consumer is playing it for yeah my um my time to play the game was when I was creating the cars and whenever I was balancing them. Like that's that's when I played the game the most. But because the cars were subtly changing all the time, it's like sometimes difficult for me to remember exactly what the final version of the right. actually is. Of course. <laughs> Still, the new cars actually are really good though because they. One of the things we lent into with the new cars is that we did a more of a mix between grip handling and drift handling. And okay. So, um, there's like a little bit more complexity to some of those cars, and I got to explore some things that I didn't fully get to because I added the grip parts relatively late in the project mm. um, and so yeah the the new um, expert difficulty car is a uh, is a pretty interesting different vibe from a lot of the other stuff so far i'm looking forward to trying that out right so it's of course it seems obvious now but with each car already being uh, differentiated in their handling characteristics there's obviously these four new ones are even different again but yeah. you're just saying there that there's one of them that's uh perhaps more distinct to the rest in the game in terms of how it drives i mean the, this set generally three of the four of them are sort of like have some grip uh based mechanics as opposed to mm. most of the, the cars in the original game it was like 85 percent of them were were almost entirely drift um, and so yeah these ones i lent into the grip stuff a little bit more so it's like you know if you lift off the throttle mid corner you might grip up and be able to turn a little bit harder uh, so right. sometimes you'll want to do that versus in other corners if they're a bit deeper and you can't make it run with just grip you might want to like do something else to make it drift so like maybe brake makes it drift like, i see so there might be a little less lurid and you might have to work it a bit more on the throttle and the brake to to get them yeah to interesting ultimately what i really wanted was to have it so that like when you're going through the corner you're very carefully balancing both steering inputs the throttle and the brake to find some like perfect median point and yeah. i think with the with what like basically the the expert level of these new cars that's the one where you really actually have to do that where the sweet spot is like halfway through the throttle and not fully on or fully off um so that like creates a sort of like interesting extra level that you don't have previously Oh, well, that's, that's fascinating. And ultimately, it all, all comes down to is the core gameplay appealing and lures you back in for a repeat play, right? And so it sounds like without, without trying these new vehicles that uh, they will do that trick. So, um, Michael, I'm really... Uh, I don't want to keep you too long, but I'm also really looking forward to the new DLC pack. Now, as we're speaking, where this podcast is releasing a day before Twilight Rivals is available... And also the Twilight Rivals edition. So that is on the 15th of November, 2022. And correct me if I'm wrong at any point. So this is available digitally and physically for the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series S and X, which is 4K or 120 frames a second with the DLC bundled in. Or if you've got the existing versions on the existing platforms, that's available separately on the same day. Yeah. So uh, we're very much looking forward to it. I think uh, on the Traction.gz website, we'll definitely be doing a, a full hands-on or review soon. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Uh, without playing the new DLC, I will say I really am a big fan of the base game. It's fantastic. And those other reviews that were around at the time before Traction.gg existed, I definitely agree with all those nines out of 10. Fantastic. So uh, best of luck with the launch. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, let's see. I mean, I'm sure I will do. And uh, Michael, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. 
Well, thank you again to Michael for his time and for creating such a fantastically playable game. Also, thanks to the people at P-Cube for organising the interview. We have more information about Inertial Drift, the Twilight Rivals edition and the Twilight Rivals DLC on the Traction.gg website. Don't forget, it's updated every single day with the latest racing game and simulation news. So please do check it out. As for the podcast, a subscribe and a follow and a rating on Apple or Spotify really does help. Or just continue listening and following on your favourite platform of choice. We really can see the numbers increasing of late and that's a big help. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time for an interview with Williams Esports team. Keep it pinned. Keep it pinned.